Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. This week we're going to go into UFO hoaxes as well as some very compelling UFO sightings. I think you guys will enjoy this. I sure hope you do. And I hope you take away a little something from this. Alright, let's get it. So this first clip I got for you guys is quite fascinating. It's also a little douchey, but you know, it's more fascinating than douchey in my opinion. So this is actually from Vice News. And I'm going to put the link in my Facebook so you guys can watch it, but please give it a watch. The video is called, We Staged a UFO Hoax. Now I want to incite fair use because I'm going to play the clip. But it's because it's that important that we play the clip. And then we're going to give it a breakdown. So let's get it. What the fuck? It's got to be the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my fucking life. I was always a bit of a showman, for lack of a better term. Is that them? That's them, man. We're going to call News 12. We're going to make a call to MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. And we're going to maybe call some of the New York stations, ABC, you know. Morristown police say they received more than a dozen calls about the UFO. This is what was seen last night between 8.30 and 9, photographed by the Hurley family in Whippany. I'd like to see someone, you know, tell me what it was, because I cannot tell you what it was. There was someone that said, well, this could be the end of days. Someone even mentioned Al-Qaeda. We're not trying to prove or disprove anything, but it's okay to be skeptical. Let's do it. 6.35 p.m. It's January 5th. Yep. Monday, 2009. Chris and I known each other 13 years at that point. Chris and I were a little bit of class clowns. We would talk about all sorts of pseudoscience. And I was having thoughts in my head since 2004 about doing something. He actually came up with the idea of perpetrating a hoax. I saw in the 1960s someone put flares on large balloons and let them go and it created a stir. And from there, the idea started to come together about lights in the sky. We knew the end game of this social experiment was us saying, ta-da, we did it. I'd be lying if I said it didn't have a, a fun element to it. We were kind of excited about it, but it did sort of stem from an idea of maybe we could help raise the consciousness of some of these folks. We were always baffled by how easy it was to fool credulous people. As it went on and on and on, we thought, do we keep this alive or do we just sort of leave it as it is? And we ended up doing it a few more times to keep the, the story going. Just want to show you what we have over here. Helium tank. We're going to bring the fishing line, duct tape to take the, uh, the fishing line to the balloons. Two flashlights, see in the dark. And finally, in the mystery box, Looks like dynamite, but I promise you it's just five flares with the fishing line already attached. And here are the balloons right here. Red balloons this time. 
that was pretty much it. But it's a lot when you're carrying that into the woods, uh, along with helium tanks that were literally four and a half feet, five feet tall. As we're tying those flares to that fishing line, your heart's racing. We let the balloons go in 15 second increments, and it was beautiful. We started filming it right away to capture eyewitness footage, but also just to, to see what it looked like. We hadn't done any tests, so this was the first time we saw it. We're about to fill up the first balloon. Here's the, here's the, there you uh, go, there's a balloon. and then followed them just to kind of track them, see how long they lasted. And as we were driving down the highway, we could see cars pulling over to the side of the road filming this thing. Here's some video. It was shot by Eric Hernandez from Boundbrook. And he says during a short break at work, he and four of his coworkers saw these five tiny lights. I think at that point we knew it worked. I gotta admit, I knew exactly what they were and I was impressed by what I was looking at. I did call the local news station here in New Jersey and said, hey, I'm seeing some crazy lights up there. There are some like really strange lights in the sky right now over Marstown, and it doesn't look like a plane or anything to me. It looks like five extremely bright lights, and I don't even know if I should be calling you guys or not about this, but it's something pretty impressive, and I cannot, I cannot for the life of me figure out what it is. And then it just blew up from there. It was a snowball effect. It, you almost had this mass hysteria where other people were injecting an opinion saying, yeah, they traveled against the wind. They took off at incredible speeds. They were just kind of floating along. We didn't really know what they were. Just that they looked like very, like, in a formation. Sort of streaked down toward New York. And the final one just kind of went, blip, disappeared. Really? Just yeah, cool. blip? Yeah, I'd say blip. Some people thought they were five spaceships. Some people thought it was one giant structure. People were seeing what they wanted to see. Whatever it was, it, it was real. <laughs> For me, at least. What'd you think those red lights were? Aliens? We were driving on Hanover, and all of a sudden we see these lights literally zip over our car. They pulled over, grabbed Joe's camera, and started shooting. The lights seemed to ascend and descend, um, almost in a sequence. You could say whatever you want to the media. It's not a crime. But I kind of regret doing that because we were criticized a little bit for injecting our own commentary into this hoax. We didn't need to do that. It was already, there were so many other people that were jumping on top of this. I'm off a park road, I'm in my backyard, and there's in the side, what is it? I walked out of my house, it's like these parachutes with these, uh or balloons with these five lights flying over right now. Police say the unidentified flying object was nothing more than flares, a theory UFO hunters has already tested and proven implausible. Police officer sees flares on balloons. That's not exciting. They wanted the people who were gonna say, didn't appear to be man-made. They appeared to be communicating with each other. And these experts, quote unquote experts, came out and said, what we did could not be exactly what it was. It could not be flares and balloons. This could well be the first UFO sighting of 2009. Up next, the team analyzes the footage, and their finding is nothing short of amazing. That thing's just enormous. Eventually what happened was the prosecutor in town had asked publicly, uh, whoever is doing this, please stop. And when that happened, we stopped. And we kind of went into documentary mode and figured out how we were gonna explain what we did and why. It definitely was flares on balloons. There was no extraterrestrial involvement at all with this uh, prank. It was all a hoax, and News 12 New Jersey's Derek Dennis found out why two guys from Morris County did it. That's our top story this half hour. 
Joe Rudy and Chris Russo used helium balloons and flares to make a point about UFOs. A judge in Morris Plains brought them back to Earth on Tuesday. The hoax sparked an FAA and Homeland Security investigation, not to mention countless phone calls to area police agencies reporting a UFO sighting. The result, misdemeanor disorderly conduct charges against culprits Chris Russo and Joe Rudy. A slap on the wrist. Chris and Joe's social experiment got them $250 fines and 50 hours of community service. Even after we came out and said we did it, there are still people that think we're government agents. We're covering up the real truth. So even when you place something right in front of body and say, here is your proof, people will still say, nope, that's, that's not good enough. I, we think you're covering this up. Um, most of these things do have an explanation. But again, I don't think that sways people. I think they, they want to believe and they always, they always will. There's nothing Chris and I could have done to um, disprove UFOs visiting Earth. But hopefully we maybe change a few people's minds and at least got them to rethink. Next time they see lights in the sky, what could that be? Is it an alien? Or maybe is it two guys pulling off a prank in the woods? So for now, better keep watching the sky, you know, in case more aliens show up to attack us with road flares. Go Jersey. What a fascinating video. And I will correct myself, that's actually from Vice Asia, but whatever. What was the point of the whole video and their little social experiment? The point was, it's okay to be skeptical. If you see lights in the sky, question it. Don't jump straight to the fantastic, as people like to do. And you get examples of that from the video. The little girl just thinks they're aliens. Well, she's a child, we'll give her some credit. One man said that they traveled against the wind, there was the one guy who saw them going in a different direction, and then the one just blipped out. They traveled at incredible speeds. Well, we know that that's actually not correct. Now, one of my favorite parts, and this kind of gets a good look into the UFO community sometimes, of how gullible people are to jump onto this. They actually tricked UFO hunters. The old TV show that was on History Channel. So, I've never actually liked that TV show. And I never really liked Bill Burns all that much. He's a little too cringy for me. And I always felt as if he had some kind of agenda to push. With his big aviator sunglasses, I assume that he's doing that for the aesthetic of almost alienized, just for the TV show. They find a human-slash-cow-fetus, and a bunch of other weird stuff that I never bought into. If you like the show, I'm sorry, but I don't, and I don't buy into any of the stuff they've gone over in it. Now granted, it's been a long time since I watched it, but, you know, to each their own. But this shows how, again, the UFO community takes it at times. Now obviously, if you're listening to my podcast, you know I'm not a debunker. 
UFOs definitely exist. Alien abductions seem to be happening. But if you just see lights in the sky, perhaps you need to be a little more skeptical. As I've gone over in some of my prior podcasts, I've even had people try to fool me. I had a man send me bugs on a video camera, trying to tell me they were UFOs. Easily debunkable. I looked right at it, it's extremely obvious, and he sent me multiple of them. If you're studying UFOs, alien abductions, or anything in the field of ufology, you have to be skeptical to a certain degree. You can't just say, Let me just put it this way. I know of a MUFON researcher, and I won't name drop her here, that had a bunch of odd stuff happen on a farm. Now, UFOs were also seen around all the other odd stuff, so therefore they must be linked. I'm sorry, but that's not how it works. Now that's just one example of jumping from one extreme to another. Could things have been going on on the farm? Absolutely. Did she see UFOs on the farm? Maybe. Does that mean the phenomena is linked? Absolutely not. And I've covered that on other podcasts. Now obviously these two dudes got busted. But they came out and did it. It's a social experiment. They let people know that they hoaxed it. Now still to this day people believe it and call them government agents covering up the truth. My god am I sick of seeing those kind of comments. But speaking of comments, let's get into a couple that were on the video. One person said, so I guess this explains all sightings? Not? Correct. You missed the point. It was so that you could be a little more skeptical. As we all should be. Otherwise, People can make a lot of things up and get away with it. And you'll believe it. Damn trolls. They should be thrown in jail, one person said. I disagree. I actually enjoy what they did. Because again, what does this demonstrate to everyone? Be a little more skeptical. You don't have to assume everything is an alien. One person said, always lying and manipulating. That's it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Very articulate. That person should write a book. One person said, to make a point? And that point was what again? Be more skeptical. What a bunch of idiots. Hoax ass. I can't even speak on that one. That one's just... Wow. Hoax ass. That's a good one. You'll have to excuse me for this next one. Because I'm going to pronounce it how they have it on here. Probably what the Phoenix lights were. Laugh out loud. Actually, that theory's been debunked. Many people saw an actual craft. Although, this video does demonstrate that people are... vulnerable to making... fantastic claims. But, in that case, there is actually video evidence that's pretty damn good. And even Five Symington saw it. 
but there were also flares set off that night as well. Prime example, why eyewitness testimony means absolutely zero. You made a great point, and hopefully it will open some eyes of people getting sucked into the cult in the UFO community, one person said. Eyewitness testimony does not mean zero. Eyewitness testimony is actually quite credible. If you see lights in a far-off distance, that's a little different than seeing a UFO up close like in the Lonnie Zamora case. Or having physiological effects to your body, like the Cash Landrum case. As well as the Debbie Cobble abduction. You see, there is some validity to this phenomenon. Some people just kind of go to the extreme. And from those comments, you see two different extremes. You see people wanting to believe too much, and people being overly skeptical. We don't have any Dr. Alan Hynix anymore. He would explain away things that were bullshit, and actually investigate those that weren't. And I think that is a great loss for us nowadays. So please, if you are a UFO investigator, please look into this and understand and take away from what has actually happened in this little clip. It's very important. And I feel like there's not enough MUFON people actually doing that out there. That there actually might be some that slip through the cracks. That might actually be planet Venus, bugs, people setting off flares on strings, and things like that. Now that we got the more skeptical part taken care of, let's go over a little more legitimate cases. This first one I got for you is quite fascinating. Now it's not very long, it's almost two minutes. But it's a call to the UFO Reporting Center. This occurred in 1989 on September 29th, and it was two pilots reporting four objects 25,000 feet while they were in the air, and they watched it. I hope you enjoy. Okay. We 
had a lo an aircraft lower report at first, and then they in turn told us about it, and we asked an aircraft at 35,000 feet to uh, look at it. Oh, they were the first ones to spot them then? Yeah, they were climbing up to 25,000 feet through 20,000 feet. Okay. What time did that occur? Uh, approximately, uh, I'll call it uh, 10 minutes ago. Okay. All right, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Appreciate the information. Okay. Now this one's also from another pilot, and also occurred in 1989. This was July 22nd. Now the interesting thing about this case is it affected his instruments within the plane. Anybody familiar with the UFO phenomenon knows that UFOs affect instrumentation of cars and things like that and actually make cars stop. In fact, we've got a recording of something like that later. So this adds that much more validation, especially back in 1989. And, and 
replied to me was, you know, what what is it? What do you think it is? I said, I don't know. I, you know, I'm trying to figure out whether it's a plane or, you know, or a jet or whatever. And I've seen weather balloons. You know, I've seen hot air balloons from a distance. It didn't look anything like this, you know, and it would have been way too high for that anyway. And it would have been way out over the ocean because the direction we were looking would have been, oh, say, like, we'd have been looking south-southeast. Yes. But, it's, you know, it was kind of hard to make any type of depth perception as far as how far it was away from us. About the best, re you know, recall of the size of the object from me would be like holding a pencil out away from you and looking at the end of the eraser okay. as far as size-wise in reference to the sky. And um, it would have put it approximately just over an area which is where we live in Bass Harbor or Swan's Island or Flesenge, Scott's Island, that area, out over the ocean. And like I said, it was higher than we were at the time when we spotted it. And we were in about a 10-degree right bank when I spotted it. And so we watched it there, and Bill kept saying to me, well, what is it? You know, And I said, I don't know what it is. And about that time, it started to move. And it moved at a very high rate of speed. Uh, faster than I've ever seen anything else move. And it moved from about our 9 o'clock position to about our 11 o'clock position and lower in altitude to where I had to literally kind of set up in the seat and look over the dash of the aircraft to see it. And we both saw it move and couldn't believe how fast it was moving, but it came to that 11 o'clock position and just stopped dead. I mean, it didn't vary one left or right or anything like that. It just, it just stopped. Now, was that high rate of speed instantaneous? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, at first, it started to move slowly, and then it picked up speed, but it picked up speed very fast. You know what I mean? Right. It didn't just, from the stop position, move real quick. Okay. It moved slowly at first, and then, and, and then just moved at a speed that you wouldn't believe, to that 11 o'clock position, and stopped dead. And then he lost it at that time, because he looked back down at the instruments, because he was flying the plane. But I was able to keep an eye on it. And so I looked up over the dash, and from where it was at before at the 9 o'clock position to the 11 o'clock position, it had dimmed down. It wasn't as a bright metallic object, but it was gray. You could tell it was a kind of a lightish gray. Good. And uh, it stopped there, and I tried to point it out to him again, and he saw it then. You know, I pointed to it, and I said, look down my arm, and you can see it. And he did, and he saw it just for a second. And then it moved again real quick. That time it moved very quickly, from 11 o'clock to like a 12 o'clock position in front of us. And it went from like a, the, the lighter gray color to a kind of a rose red. And then it was like it didn't move left or right or towards us, but like away from us at a very high speed of rate. But it caused the type of appearance of where it just kind of like disappeared. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, from getting the size that it was where I couldn't see it any longer as though it had just disappeared. But it was, I could tell in the aspects that it was, it was going away from us okay. at a very high rate of speed. And that direction would have put it heading almost directly south. Okay. Now, when we spotted it, or when I spotted it first, okay, we were flying a heading of about, oh, 275, about south-southwest. And the, and the sun was at about our... 2 o'clock position. 
so when I first saw it, you know, it would have been like the reflection of the sun off of it. You know what I'm talking about right. as far as that type mm -hmm. of silverish look? But it wasn't so blinding that you couldn't look right at the object. I mean, the object was a distinct shape. And then, like I said before, you could see a defined edge. There was no fuzziness or anything like that. Okay. About what time did that occur? It happened at approximately 3.35, because I called the next day. We immediately, after seeing this object, um, called up ATC in Bangor and got on radar with them. And uh, I talked to the lady that was the controller with us, and I asked her a bunch of questions just in curiosity if, if there was any airlines, you know, any military flights, anything of that sort in that area at the time that we came up on radar with them. And uh, she looked back on the log, and she said, no, there was no military flights. There was no airlines. I'm pretty, you know, I'm familiar with the airline routes around here. Yes. And uh, most of all the European flights coming in are farther inland. You know, they come in on, off of uh, Bangor's VOR. And so that puts them about 20, 25 miles inland. But she checked everything out, you know, because I, I told her I'd like to know if there was anything of that aspect. I even thought it might be some high-speed fighters that might have been escorting some of these missiles that they've been testing around here. But um, what the Navy does is they announce that about an hour before they do it, and ATC always has verifiable proof of that before they do it. Right. And then nothing like that was going on. Well, of course, they wouldn't be coming to a standstill either. No. I mean, this, this was definitely not. <laughs> this was not a jet. Okay. You know? How long do you feel you watched it? Uh, geez, I think the total observation time of the whole thing was probably about a minute and 30 seconds. Okay. It seemed like about five minutes. Any problems with instrumentation on the craft while it was in sight? Yes. Yeah, we had trouble with our DME. And, I mean, we were only six or seven miles from Bar Harbor at the time. And the DME and that beach craft is always right on. I mean, it, you know, you can always pick it up a good 60 miles away from Bar Harbor. Okay, now what does this DME stand for? It's uh, distance measuring equipment. Okay. All right, and what it does is it's a frequency that's transmitted by the ADF localizer at Bar Harbor. And the DME is tuned in on that frequency. will calculate your speed, you know, okay. and, and uh, time and route, stuff like that. But that dropped completely out, which was unusual. But that, I noticed that before we even spotted the object. Because, you know, when you take off like that, you're checking your instruments, checking your, your gauges and right. stuff like that. And immediately I noticed a straight line through our DME readout, okay, which is unusual because we usually at 4,500 feet altitude, only six miles from Bar Harbor, we always get a good, strong signal. And um, that was the only instrument that I noticed that was acting up on us. Did that come back to normal when the object left the area? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. About a minute or so after we... <clears throat> You know, didn't see the object anymore, then the DME tuned back in. Okay. Okay, are you both uh, highly experienced pilots? Well, I've got 4,500 hours as a commercial pilot. Okay. And he's got approximately 300 hours as a private. Okay. You uh, with uh, commercial airlines? No, I don't fly professionally okay. anymore. Okay. Um, I used to crop dust down in Texas for four or five years. Well, we sure appreciate your reporting that. We'd heard about this sighting, but we uh, never could get uh, information. Well, you know, I've, 
It's one of those things that was it's a, it was a weird feeling after we had spotted it. It was not like we, I mean, it kind of spooked us a little bit. It spooked me because I didn't know what it was. And if it was an aircraft, uh, and it being at our 12 o'clock position and doing what it was doing, I didn't feel comfortable flying that direction. Yes. So we flew for about five minutes more, and we both kind of decided to turn around and fly back to Bar Harbor and not continue our flight. And uh, it, it was not like we really talked amongst each other of exactly what it was. I mean, I knew what I saw, and he knew what he saw, but uh, it wasn't like we were, you know, bragging about it or anything like that. It was like we were in a state of shock, you know. We didn't really talk about it that much. Right. And, um, but then, you know, the more I thought about it, I tried to keep running it through my mind of exactly what took place and, and what it looked like and everything else. And it wasn't but about a day or so later that him and I were sitting here at the table with my wife. And... Uh, she said, well, have either one of you discussed as far as the shape of it? And we said, well, not really. You know, she said, well, you, you know, you take a piece of paper, and she gave a piece of paper to Bill and said, draw what you saw, you know. So I drew down on the paper exactly the object that I saw, and he drew it down, and we both handed it to her, and they were identical. I mean, it was identical to what we saw yeah. as far as, the, you know, the shape of the object. Okay, well, we sure appreciate you reporting that, and if we get any follow-up information on this, I'll call you back. Okay, another thing, Bob, I would be interested to know, I don't know if you do this or not, but if you have any type of UFO sightings in around this area, is there any way that you could contact me? Sure. To where I could kind of like, I'd like to come from the other direction, because the paper wanted to know if they wanted to put my phone number in the paper. I said, God, no, I don't want to, I don't want a bunch of fruitcakes calling me. Right. But I figured if I came to you and explained to you that I'd like to know, you know, I, I'm sure you kind of filter out the, the unbelievable or whatever or right. something that really sounds realistic. And uh, what I was thinking is if, I, if it came from you back to me, then I could follow it up the other direction. You know what I mean? Right. Like call the people and talk with them and find out exactly what they saw and stuff like that. Because I'd be yeah. interested in doing that. Would you like some uh, information, some printed matter on other pilot reports? I'd love some. Okay. I'd really like some. Get them in the mail. And I was really shocked when I called ATC and explained to them what I had saw and asked them if they saw anything on radar, and they said no. But then the lady said, well, you should call the UFO Reporting Center. And I said, what? She says, yeah, there's a number in Seattle that you can call, which I never knew existed. No. So I got the number from her, but... Um, you know, I, I wanted to think about it for a while because you know how you kind of replay things back in your mind, but, you know, it was obvious that what Bill and I saw, we could not explain what it was. It was not an aircraft. We know that. And it didn't fly like any fighter that I've ever known of. Okay. Well, I thank you again. Great. Okay. Send me that info, would you? Will do. If you, if you do get any reports, feel free to call me, okay? And let do. me give you my business phone. Okay because I'm a dispatcher with the Ellsworth Police Department. So a lot of times when I'm not here, you get a hold of me there, or at least leave a message there for me to call you. Okay. okay? And that number is uh, same area code, 667-8959. Okay, very okay. good. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Okay. Bye. Bye. So this incident occurred in 1986 in California, the Topanga Canyon. 
there's a UFO that shines a light down on a vehicle, which abruptly stops. There's a humming noise and the smell of burnt cinnamon. The couple suffers short-time memory loss and weeping blisters on the skin. UFO Reporting Center. Calling from Los Angeles. Yes. I've got to make this fairly short because I've got to get back to my doctors at 2.30. Um, the FAA and the Air Force gave me this number. Yes. And I'd like to report something that happened to my girlfriend and I last night, Topanga Canyon. Okay, would you describe it, please? And by the way, we called the Malibu police and they said that three other people had reported similar things. It's just nothing that we're imagining. Okay. Um, we were driving up Coast Highway, number one, Pacific Coast Highway. Are you familiar with that area? Yes, I am. And we backtracked and went decided to go up to Panga Canyon Road, which is a, uh, it goes pretty high up into the canyon country. Do you know where Topanga Canyon is? Yes. Okay. Very familiar with it. All right. Um, there's a place where old Topanga Canyon goes to new Topanga Canyon. It's, there's a real high ledge that goes deep, deep down. You can overlook the, the, the canyon. Okay. At any rate, gets weirder as it goes on. Out of nowhere appeared over our car a uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant light that was hovering about, I'd say, 50 feet uh, on top of our car. Okay. And uh, at first we thought it was a helicopter, a police helicopter or something, except that we realized that we didn't hear any sound. And we looked up and we could see clearly the defined shape of a uh, uh, a pie-shaped object, a saucer. I mean, I hate to you know, use that term, okay. saucer-type object. There was a rim. We could see a rim, and then within the rim was this just one big, brilliant, brilliant light that that kept shining on our car. Okay. Was this like a beam of light? Yes. Okay. Was that in the form of a beam or a cone? Um, it was a uh, wide cone. Okay. A wide cone. Okay. Covered, uh, oh, I'd say a good, maybe 50 feet in diameter. Okay. But it was very, very bright. At any rate, we turned the car around, and we decided to go back down the canyon, and this damn thing kept following us. It kept, at the speed we were going, at the same speed we were going, it was following us. It was it was above our car about 50 feet, okay. I'd say. And we kept looking up, and it kept it was there. And if we would go faster, it would go faster. If we would slow down, it would slow down. And we had the distinct impression that it was pursuing us. And the only noise that I could I felt that we could hear was uh, um, the sound that a transformer would make like a hum, All right. a high-pitched hum. Okay. Then I told my girlfriend, we better get out of here. So I accelerated the car, but you've got to be very careful on Topanga Canyon because it's a very windy, um, uh, it's a very windy road. And uh, when I tried to accelerate the car, my engine went out. Uh, the lights went out. Everything went out. 
Okay. And we got out of the car thinking that we were going to run away. I'm telling you, my girlfriend was almost to the state of hysteria. In fact, later on, I, we, we went to Cedar sinai emergency room when I got home, when we got to our home here. Um, when we got out of the car, we got even a better look at it. We, we saw that it was not a helicopter. And within, I'd say, seconds, it just went straight up in the air. And as quickly as it appeared, that's how quickly it vanished. Okay. At any rate, we got back into the car, and uh, the car started. And we got down to the coast highway. We came home to Los Angeles, and my girlfriend was very, very badly shaken up. She's a nurse. I'm an accountant. Uh, we went uh, to Cedar Sinai Emergency Room, and uh, we had broken out on, in blisters on the backs of our hands. My girlfriend, where she was wearing a necklace, you could see the mark where the necklace was. I wear glasses. You could see on my face uh, glass, the, the glass mark. And we have uh, a, a very nauseous all night and diarrhea. Okay, now did that, was that like a bad sunburn? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's like a bad sunburn, but it's weepy. They're, oh. they're weeping blisters. Okay. And I sure didn't have it. We didn't have this when we went out. We, at any rate, we did call the Malibu police when we got home. And uh, they said that three other people had called uh, concerning uh, similar incidents that evening. In the same area? In the same area, the Canyon yeah. Canyon area. Okay. There was an officer, Burns, that I had spoken with. Okay. And we're going to go back to the uh, doctors today at 2.30, so I can't stay too long, and I don't want to get terribly involved with the, uh, even the doctor said I should, I, I, I could report this. I don't, I'm not prone to these far out situations, sir, but it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. It was really quite frightening. Okay. That was your girlfriend at RN? Yes, she's a registered okay. nurse. Now, what she time was, did that occur? It occurred, a, I would say, approximately at 1230 okay. in the evening. That's this morning? Yes. Mm. My girlfriend works at the Wadsworth Veterans Hospital. Okay. What was the name of that veterans hospital? The Wadsworth Veterans Hospital. Okay. Now, do you have any estimate of the diameter of the object? It was about 50 feet in diameter. Okay. Now, do you remember the color of that uh, cone of light? Um, white. White with, uh, um, but there was some blue in it, blue around the edges. Okay, now when you were exposed to that uh, beam of light, did you detect any change of temperature? No, but our skin tingled. Okay. And it felt like there was a little, I don't know, electrical feeling in, in your skin. Okay. And then for a brief moment, to tell you the truth, neither of us even could remember what happened. It was almost as if we had blacked out. Did you feel that that was a very short duration? I think so. I have no way of knowing. Okay. Did you detect any unusual odors at the time? Come to think of it, yeah. 
would say like burnt cinnamon. Okay. Did you have any trouble restarting your car? Mm, at that point, I can't, to tell you the truth, I can't remember. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I think maybe a couple clicks and it started. I can't remember. Okay. Have you seen any other problems with the car since you got home? No. Okay. Now, were there any other unusual physical traces uh, with you or your lady friend? No. Okay. And how long do you feel this entire uh, incident went on? I feel that it followed us for about 10 minutes. Okay. And then out of the car, maybe a minute or so. But it was when we were out of the car is when I kind of kind of lost track of what was going on for a while. Okay. Do other people report things like this? Well, yes, sir, they sure have. They've been reporting them for years. Now, what was the name of the doctor you were going to? Well, we went to the, the Cedar sinai emergency room, and I don't re recall the, oh, the name okay. of the doctor. Okay. Uh, because of my job, I really don't want to get terribly uh, visible. Because when you talk to when you talk about this to people, we are going to go see a psychiatrist. Just to, I mean, I don't. We I, we we weren't hallucinating. I didn't make this rash up. Yes. Okay. Can I get your name? Sir, I don't want to give my name. Okay. Is there any way we can get back to you if we need more information? Well, what more information would you need? I'll, I'll, I'm going to go back to the doctors. I can't call you back. It's just that my wife, my girlfriend has a uh, governmental job. And right. You've got, you've got to understand, this is of such high strangeness that people tend, if it gets out, um, they tend to look at you as if you're weird or something. I understand. Okay, what we'd, we'd like to do after you visit your doctor, if you feel like it, uh, we'd like to uh, hear what his diagnosis of the uh, injuries is. And what do they do with all this data? What do we do with it? Mm -hmm. Well, we compare it with other similar cases over the past years, mm -hmm. which gives us a basis for determining the reality of what is going on. Is this something that the government is doing? No. No, the, uh, this type of incident has occurred uh, off and on throughout the United States and overseas for the last 40 years. I've read about things like this, but reading it is one thing, but when you see it firsthand, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just I don't know how to explain it. It can be very traumatic. And other uh, other people do call you. Oh yes, we get uh, we're average about six calls or six reports a day right now, and that's very very quiet. We cover all of North America. Well, what is thought? What is this thought to be? Well, there's. Of course, three or four different uh, theories. Uh, my own personal opinion is that uh, these are objects coming in from outer space. And I've been studying the subject for 36 years. Jesus Christ. So you don't think this was So this one's quite unique in itself. 
and it's also from 1989. There's a lot of these today. And it's of a mother reporting a UFO incident that her daughter had the night before, driving home in a thunderstorm. And you're going to see why it's really unique with this grease aspect. Hi there. I live in Waterloo, Iowa, and my daughter had the most bizarre thing happen to her last night, and I was telling a friend about it, and she brought to my attention an API news item that was featured in our paper last Friday, and I thought I'd give you a call. Um, I was, I've been out of town for a couple of weeks and wasn't aware that there have been unusual sightings in Iowa, apparently, within the last couple of weeks. Um, May I take a moment and tell you what happened to my daughter? All the time you want. <laughs> it's really very scary. We had a very severe rain and thunder and lightning storm um, in central to eastern Iowa last night. Okay. My daughter was driving from the west uh, coast of Iowa to Waterloo, Iowa, which is about in the center of the state and over toward the east border. If you can hold on one moment, I'm sorry, I'm at my office. Sure. Thank you. At any rate, she was driving through this very severe storm, um, and it was it was later on at night. It was probably around 9 o'clock. It was dark. She had pulled off the road about four times because it was raining so hard she couldn't see. My daughter is 19, and she is not the least bit. Um, she's very imaginative, but she is not an alarmist, okay? I just can't even tell you. If you look on an Iowa map, she was heading west on Highway 20, and um, right, well, you can see on an Iowa map where Highway, where Interstate I-35 goes right down through the center of Iowa. Okay. Okay. She was west, heading, heading east, I should say, on Highway 20, approaching I-35. She, and again, as I said, she had had to pull off the road several times. She turned onto I-35, and all of a sudden, north or south. heading toward the north. Okay. And she's only on I-35 at that point for about two miles, and then Highway 20 again veers off and goes to the east. Okay. All of a sudden, there was no rain whatsoever. The pavement was completely dry. There was no rain. She thought, wow, this is great, because she had been very nervous. She doesn't, you know, she's not a real experienced driver. As she was progressing the two miles on I-35, she saw in her headlights, and there were no cars around. There is no overpass there. There wasn't a car ahead of her or beside her or behind her. And like I say, no overpass. She saw something in the headlights that looked like a ball. She described it as looking as though it was a ball with fire attached to the end of it, okay? It came down at an angle that I don't know degrees in a circle. It did not. It was not coming straight down. It was coming at an angle higher to lower, directly aimed at her car which happens to be a 78, 79 Volkswagen. Okay. The, I, I'm, just so, I'm just in awe to even tell you this. The thing 
whatever it was, and she said, Mom, it was visible in the headlights long enough that I, I saw it, and I felt I knew it was going to hit the car. Hit the windshield on the driver's or on the passenger's side. She said, when it hit, it sounded like a gun went off. She was positive it had cracked the windshield. It did not crack the windshield, but it left. It was like it was a balloon or something approximately the size of a basketball that would have been filled with grease or oil or something because she said the moment it impacted, her whole windshield was covered with grease and oil and it immediately started pouring again to the point where she couldn't clear the windshield with the wipers. She had to hang her head out the window. She struggled to the intersection of 20 and 35 by driving on the shoulder and pulled. There's a very large truck stop there called Boondocks. She pulled in there, got out of the car, and thought, oh, my God, what is this? She thought that it must have been like a big wad of mud or something, and you know how something happens so fast and you don't even stop to think about it? She got out of her car and was going into the truck stop to call me and tell me that she was having trouble driving because it it was storming so bad. And a man who had stopped to fill up his car with gas said to her, my God, what happened to your car? She turned around and looked. The entire front hood, top sides, and windshield were covered with a greenish-black oil or grease or something, she said, to the point, Mom, where you couldn't see the color of the car. The man came over to the car. He happened to be a a man with his family with him. came over to the car and helped my daughter. He had a bottle of degreaser in his car. The point where this basketball-sized thing hit her windshield, (laughs) amazingly, that part of the windshield was perfectly clear. It wasn't grease. It wasn't anything. It was like whatever hit the windshield left an imprint, and the whole rest of the car was covered with this green, slimy stuff. The man went up and tried to help her clean it off, They used an entire bottle of degreaser that he happened to have in his trunk. Um, It's still raining. It's still storming. There was no odor whatsoever to this junk. She said, Mother, there were no planes in the air. There was no helicopter in the air. There was nothing in the air. All of a sudden, this thing appeared, and it was coming down at an angle and hit the windshield. Now, unfortunately, we didn't keep any, you know, she didn't keep any of the cleaning rags. She did get a tiny little bit of it on her shirt. Um, You know, she was just a basket case. She called me practically hysterical, you know, telling me, Mom, you're not going to believe what happened. I'm sitting in this truck stop trying to get calm enough and waiting for the rain to stop so I can drive. She had to go out and wipe the car off several times and had to wipe the whole hood of the car off because it was so greasy that she was afraid it was going to come up onto the windshield and she still wouldn't be able to see. Okay. Now, by the time she reached our home, which is about a 75-mile drive she still had, and it had been raining hard enough that about the only place you can even see evidence of a film is like on the headlights, there's kind of a milky, funny-looking film, 
and you can tell a little bit on the windshield that it's it's just you know it's kind of weird but you, there's no color left on the car i mean you know no residue at all but like i said it was storming very badly have you had any reports of anything like that uh, I've never heard of it. I've been in this for 34 years, and I've never heard of anything like that. What time did that occur? I'm trying to think of what time she called me, and I'm going to say she must have called me at about 9:30. Okay. It had just it had just happened. I mean, she had just like I said, she drove the two miles or whatever was left with her head hanging out the window, and got to the truck stop. Where was she driving to? She was driving from Sioux City, where she had been visiting her father, back home, which is Waterloo. Okay. She That's was in, where you're at. Yes. Okay. She was in my car. Okay. And looking at a map, water or the the place where she was at is roughly 60 miles north of Des Moines. Uh, did she wash that blouse that had the uh, material on it? No. It, uh, no. There's a very small amount of it. I mean, there really isn't much. There's a little bit down toward the hem of the shirt, and there's a little bit on each sleeve. Don't let her wash the blouse. Okay. Has she washed the car? Not through a car wash, per se. But like I said, it was raining so hard that I really feel that most of the gunk is off because I immediately went out when she got home. And it was sprinkling in Waterloo at that time, but she had driven through some rather decent rains even from that point home. Okay, but there could be some on the underside. And, and uh, of course, being a Volkswagen, it doesn't have a grill, does it? Mm. Or does it? Well... Yeah, I think there's something up there. Okay, there it's a fan-cooled engine. Okay, there could be something in there, too. I've been afraid to look. I'm not kidding you. I'm a okay. wreck. Just don't, don't wash it. Don't send it through any wash or wash it yourself. Okay. Uh, I have to leave to go to Des Moines tomorrow morning to have my corporation is having a meeting. Um, I'm going to be gone with the car in Des Moines. I'm leaving tomorrow morning, and I will not be back in Waterloo until Thursday afternoon. What time are you leaving in the morning? Um, I'll have to leave here at 9 to get there in time. Okay. Do you have anyone locally that would want to come and use some swabs? Or... Okay, I'm going to get hold of a national organization right away on this, and I know that they've got people in, in your area, and maybe they can get somebody over there right away. Well, if you'd want to tell them, unfortunately, I do have this appointment, and I should right. I should have called you this morning, but a friend called this recent article to my attention, and I just now got to the paper to get the back issue and was reading it and thought, holy cow, they're talking about Des Moines, so obviously there's something strange going on around here. Now, did she notice whether this spear moved away after it hit the car? It virtually exploded. It, it disintegrated, it just, okay. It just covered the car. Now this last one I wanted to leave you guys with is the Lonnie Zamora case. Now this is an interview with Lonnie Zamora conducted on April 24, 1964 by KSRC Radio and he's explaining the incident. Walter Schrode, your roving reporter at KSRC Radio in Socorro, New Mexico. We have with us this afternoon Mr. Lonnie Zamora, the Socorro patrolman that, while chasing a car, found himself in an area about two miles west of Socorro and one mile east of KSRC Radio Station, at which time he reports he came upon an unidentified object resting on four legs. 
that as he drew closer, the object took off with a loud roar spouting blue-red flame and disappeared in the sky. A great number of cars and Socorro people have gathered here in front of the studios of KSRC to catch a glimpse of Mr. Zamora as he arrived and welcome him with their car horns. Mr. Zamora, after coming upon this object, just what did happen? I went up that little road for about half a mile, I guess. Uh, came up to this uh, little barking deal there on the side of the road, and I sort of glanced out the, uh, the window, looked to my left, and seen this white object on the ground. So I thought it might be a car that had turned over. Uh -huh. So I was the real, the real big Harry going out there to investigate, thought maybe somebody would be hurt. Uh, that time I saw this white ache, shape, uh, egg shape looking object. It, it looked something like, a, like an egg, you mean? Yeah, yeah, from the distance I was, it looked like an egg to me. About the size of a car, I think uh, someone said. Yes, sir, it looked like a car had turned over. Uh -huh. That's why I say it's the size of a car. And uh, did it have any kind of markings on it of any kind that you noticed? Yes, it did. Uh, not from that uh, that uh, far, I didn't see the markings. When I went up closer to it, I did see the markings. And uh, someone said that uh, the markings that you saw it was an, an upside-down V with three lines running through it. No, sir, I couldn't tell you that because they still uh, don't want you to say nothing about oh, the markings. No, they don't want you to say anything about the markings. All right, we won't question you on that. And if we run into an area that they don't want you to uh, talk about, well, you just say so. And this happened about 5.30 Friday afternoon. It happened about uh, 5.50, about 10 minutes to 6. About 10 minutes to 6. And uh, you did place a call in to Sergeant Chavis of the state police to come on out uh, and help you with the investigation. As soon as I saw this uh, object, with, I didn't know what it was. I placed a call to uh, Sergeant Chavis of the state police. Told him if he would come out there and help me on this. He said, yes, I'll be right there in about a few minutes. And he arrived uh, uh, just about uh, two or three minutes after the object had uh, taken off and, and left. Well, uh, the object was still about a couple of months up there whenever he arrived. Right. So uh, that's the direction it went. It went yes, over the top of the mountain. And mm -hmm. we've heard several reports that it flew low, uh, like it was dragging something. And we've heard some... Uh, it was very low to the ground. At the time I was seeing it, it was very low to the ground up to the perlite uh, mill there, and then it started gaining altitude. Now, I also uh, it was reported to me that when you first drove up into uh, this area and sighted uh, this object, that the motors were running and it was going, uh, or some such, uh, such sound as that. Is that uh, correct? Uh, I couldn't say because it happened so fast. Uh, uh -huh. I, I started running, and I was scared. Well, I don't blame you. I thought something that even scares me yet. Uh, now, you did say that you saw uh, two what appeared to be people dressed in white uniforms with, uh, did they have helmets on like spacemen or anything? No, sir. I wouldn't say that there are people. I just, I saw something white, white coverall. That's what I could say. They looked like they were something in white coverall. Right. But you didn't, you couldn't identify them as actually being a human being as no, you sir. and I are. No, sir. I couldn't. Uh, and, uh, but uh, did, you, you didn't know whether they turned and saw you or, or what then? 
Well, uh, to my, I, I would say that this, this white object turned and saw me. Yes. Were there two of them? I would say there were two because one was in front and the other object was in the back. Did you have a, a chance to, to notice what kind of a doorway they had to this, uh, this uh, object, this flying object? Didn't notice any doors, no. And, uh, uh, when that took off, uh, it, it made a loud, loud roaring sound. Uh, is that uh, yes, the that very loud noise, roar sound. And then after it got up in the air about 20 feet, well, the sound seemed to disappear? The sound was uh, disappeared and was very, very quiet. We could hear a pin drop there. And uh, now these the markings that left on the ground, now the reports that I have had, and I haven't had a chance to go and take a look, and the winds yet to be probably... Uh, was a lot of that anyway, was that uh, there were uh, deep indentations in the ground approximately 10 inches wide and uh, 6 to 8 inches deep, uh, about 15 feet apart. Is that, uh, is that a correct report? Well, I would say it was about 19 feet apart uh, of the uh, prints. Uh -huh. And were there any other prints like footprints around the area at the, right after the take off or the end, when you were making the investigation? There were some prints, but I wouldn't know if there were footprints or anything, just prints, I don't say. Uh, they didn't, you couldn't identify them as actually being a footprint or indentations like maybe somebody might have walked there or somebody right. might have walked there. Somebody walked around there because there was, when I got there, there was nobody around there yet. Now, there was, uh, according to a report on one of the news, uh, the television stations in Albuquerque, claimed that they had a call uh, just about 5.30 in Albuquerque of a, of a sighting of a flying object flying in this direction. Did you hear anything about that? No, sir, I didn't. Which, uh, if, if that be true, means that someone in Albuquerque saw this object flying in this direction just prior to your sighting it. And uh, which collaborates uh, the fact that there was something here. Now, it's the feeling, I get the feeling, at least Lonnie, as with the people that I've talked to and they were out in the area, that uh, they are quite sure that something landed there and something took off from, from this spot because of not only the imprint that is left in the ground, but the fires that it started and, and the method of which uh, uh, the fire or the power that it was, whatever it was using, kind of spread itself as it took off. Is that uh, right? Right. Uh, no, there was something not there because I feel it. And uh, uh, what was your immediate reaction as soon as you realized that this thing might be an object from outer space? Well, I didn't think it would be an object from outer space because I, I don't believe in, in things like this from outer space. Well, uh, it was something that you'd never seen before and right. enough to, to scare you to, to run in the other direction. Well, what, what scared me was the loud noise in the flame that the city had under it. It had a, a large flame then right. as it took off. Was it a yellow flame or a it blue was a bluish, uh, bluish uh, orange flame. I thought this object was going to blow up. That's what started running back. And uh, did you notice whether the uh, these arms that it was sitting on retracted back into the object as it flew away or not? You didn't have time. And I just running in the other direction right. at that time. I would have done too. Are there any other things uh, about uh, this sighting that you think our listening audience might be interested in or something that you'll be allowed to tell us? 
know it so long. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, did it disappear into the high sky after it got over around the perlite? Or, or just disappeared? Yes, flew low to the perlite mine, then from there on, they just so fast that you could barely do right and right up in the air. Huh? They tended to what you were looking at to see what, what he was doing. Uh-huh. Well, uh, do you think we're going to get any more of them around here? Hope not. Not immediately. <laughs> well, it was uh, quite an interesting experience, I'm sure, and it has caused an awful lot of comment. Uh, did the investigators that were called in uh, make any comments at all in one direction or the other, with the exception of that they do not have any such object in this area? Oh, they are still puzzled themselves, yes. And there's been no report on uh, the samplings they took of the uh, area around there from the burning brush and the area that the blast hit the ground. So if I give them a clue as to what kind of power was being used on this. No, plant. sir, no. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I think I've just about covered it here. Uh, let's see. Uh, it wasn't dragging anything. We had a report that uh, it was dragging something as it was. No, I wouldn't say it was dragging nothing, just low to the ground. And uh, you can't think of anything else than about the sighting of this flying object that our listening audience might uh, be interested in. No, that's all I'll say now. Well, Lonnie, I'm sure you've been getting an awful lot of uh, questions and a lot of inquiry, and I imagine you're beginning to get a little tired of it, actually, for so many people calling and asking you about it. Maybe this will be one way to keep uh, too many people from having you have to go through the story over and over again. Right. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Mr. Lonnie Zamora. This is the gentleman, the support patrolman, that yet, uh, Friday at around 10 minutes to 6, come up on an object, a flying object, an unidentified flying object, as the uh, government prefers to call them. I got, uh, excuse me, Walter, I got some some military people at the service office who want to talk to me now. I believe they're from the UFO. Uh, well, you have some military people that are here from the UFO to talk to you right now and to ask you some more questions yes, about sir. this. And uh, they have not in any way tried to indicate that they didn't want us to uh, to uh, cover this type of a news. No, yes. sir, I just told no that I was going to come here and talk to you on the radio station. It's just all right. Well, that's, that's fine. And uh, we would be interested in knowing uh, what they think about it, if, 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 if they will allow it. And after you get through talking to them, if you would call us back here at KSRC and to give us some of the information that they might allow you to let us broadcast. We'd be glad to. All right. And, uh, Mr. Zamora, I hope that you don't come upon any more of these objects. <laughs> Unless we find out exactly what they are. So it's been a pleasure, Mr. Zamora, having you in our studios. And we want to thank you, and I know our listeners thank you. And this is uh, expressed by the great number of cars that are out here in front of our studios just to get a glimpse of uh, what we might call a Socorro celebrity right at the moment. Thank you again, Mr. Zamora. It's been very nice having you in our PSRC studio. You're just been listening to a PSRC radio station with Mr. Zamora. Please stay tuned for the Incredible UFO cases. A little hard to make mistakes with.
such as the first UFO hoaxers video. Most of these are up close. Or, in the case of the pilots, they're right there and they see the sky all the time. In fact, one of the cases he said it stayed 30 feet ahead of them at all times. Chinese lanterns don't do that. Flares don't do that attached to balloons. That's quite unique. Now these are highly credible trained people. Commercial pilots. The 1986 Topanga Canyon UFO. You could hear the fear in that man's voice and he was frustrated and pissed off and I get it. It's a little hard to hoax that because it seems like he really was affected, not only on a physical level, but an emotional level as well. The Waterloo incident was a little unique in itself. Again, I've never heard of a case like that. But if it's to be believed, then that is quite odd. And of course the Lonnie Zamora case. Very famous landing case. From a highly credible man. Now here's the thing, these UFOs aren't way off in the distance, they're not a light at night time. Most of these are up close and personal. Those are a little harder to mistake. And that's what I mean by this phenomena has validation to it. Now while you should be skeptical, you shouldn't be so skeptical that your brains fall out. Now I hope I got through to some people on this. But no matter what happens, there's always going to be that person out there where everything has to be UFOs, aliens, ghosts, a werewolf flying a flying saucer, capturing a Bigfoot, dropping him off in Lake Loch Ness. You have to be more skeptical. And I know that my fans listening definitely are. Now most of these cases I present to you throughout all of my like faded disc episodes and stuff like that, you see correlations with what happens today. And most of these are way older cases. That is physiological effects, you see how the people react, and some of them are extremely credible. Now I want you to keep that in mind, but what I also want you to keep in mind is sometimes it's just too good to be true. If somebody tells you they have a video of an alien walking down the street, it's probably too good to be true. My brother sent me a video of the new History Channel show, maybe it's older now, I don't know, I don't have cable. I really like this show. It's called The Truth Is Out There. Where they examine videos, break it down, see if they're fake or not. Well, at first I hadn't watched it. I didn't watch the clip my brother sent me. He just sent it to me and asked if I would check it out. And I said, of course. I watch it. And I didn't make it to the breakdown right away. What you catch is an older man who had been abducted in the 80s and he set up a video camera in his house 
You know, maybe some of you have seen this and you know where I'm going. There's a bright yellow light shining into his room, and peeking around the corner is what appears to be a small figure, possibly three foot from what they judged. Well, what they determined about this video is that above the three foot skinny figure that happens to be gray with no dark eyes or anything that are standing out, there's a shadow above it, as if somebody may have been pushing it in the way. So let me tell you a couple things that stood out to me. Now they had a lady on, and she's talking about alien abductions as if she were an expert, and she explains on there, well most of the time people are abducted since about five on. You know, you're correct on that. You know what doesn't happen? A person's not just generally abducted in their 30s and then it continues on through life. It just happens then and then from then on you're an abductee. No, 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 no. It starts from childhood on, as the lady said. But her implication was that's only at times. When in reality, if she were to speak to abductees, it's constant. Every time you talk to one, this has been happening since I was a child. Right there should have been a red flag for her. There's a yellow light that appears, right? Now, we're not even going to go into the fact that people can't catch abductions on film for some reason. I don't know what it is. Honestly, it doesn't take away for the from the phenomena for me, because there's effects on your electrical equipment when UFOs are around. And that's just a fact. Sounds like cop-out, but really, it is a fact. But the yellow light. When people are abducted, they don't... I, I don't know that I've ever heard of one talking about a yellow light. Blue or amber-colored? A light that seems like it shined, like daylight. That's another one I've heard. But never yellow. And I know that's a little nitpicky. But if nobody else reports that, and you're the one guy in the world, out of all of the abductions ever reported, that's a little odd to me. Not only that, but it didn't show the room lighting up on the camera. No, the room was already lit up with this entity peeking around the corner. Why don't you show us when it triggered? Well, the result of this show was that it was a hoax. And I completely agree with that. Now, I said that for different reasons. Also, with accordance to what they had as well. Point is, people make things up, and you can't buy into everything. With that, I'm going to let you guys go. I hope you guys enjoyed what I brought to the table for you today. And not to kick a dead horse, but just please remain skeptical. 
I realize that times is very hard or very convincing, but it's best to be that Take inspiration from somebody like Dr. J. Allen Hynek, much as I do, or somebody else that's grounded, rather than people who just want to jump odd conclusions and link everything together to muddy things I want. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and learned a little something. Just remember, you UFOs want to tell you something? Keep kicking it.